0: You're listening to the pocket coven podcast where
1: we explore the magical and mystical and where they intersect with the wide world of mental health
0: i'm amber lenore a pagan creative arts therapist and i'm callie little a pagan emotional support witch and artist
1: we invite you to listen connect and deepen your relationship's magic and to yourself we're the coven in your pocket
0: Hello, and welcome to year three, as Amber pointed out, because we have completed two years of podcasting, which I can't believe.
1: Yeah, and I feel like everything has changed in my life since the moment we started podcasting. The last two years have felt like several hundred years. Yeah,
0: dude, that's very fair.
1: Yeah. I mean...
0: We started this podcast not knowing we were cousins. I mean, there's that. There's that beautiful thing, which I feel like is, that's like the hook to get people to listen, like we found out on the show. Um, And yeah, there's been a renaissance in your life. My life has changed quite a bit, but not quite as much as yours.
1: I went for hardcore ego death. You know, sometimes that's just what you got to do. Well, that is what happens when,
0: you know, you eat what you find in the woods a bunch, so.
1: It is, and then you become a slut witch.
0: Yes, which is why we're here today, because (laughs) we are sacred sluts, and maybe you are too, or maybe you're like, what the fuck is that? Also, that sounds offensive. How dare you call yourself that? Well, let me tell you, words are what we make them, and I I say that with an asterisk, uh, because there are certain words that I would never say, but. Slut? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the witch and author Gabby Hurstick, I think, is the first person who I heard use the term sacred slut. She does a lot of writing about it, um, both on Instagram and on her Patreon, and I think in her books. And she talks a lot about that in relation to Lilith, who I did a uh, self as myth episode on last spring. Um, and Lilith is definitely a sacred slut archetype for me. She comes up a lot in my sex magic. Um, like she demands to be there. So what, who am I to deny this primordial goddess?
1: I have seen Callie walk out of a room where she was doing, like, vision questing, and she's like, well, you know, Lilith is there. She just came running in, (laughs) so she's here, and we just got to deal with her. And I was like, fuck yeah.
0: (laughs) She's not a quiet one. Like, Hecate, I feel like, is like, yes. You know, Lilith is like, I am here, and you are going to listen. Lilith is
1: like a screeching, banshee level. She just flies
0: Mm -hmm. on in, and, you know, people who don't, experience these things or believe in them are probably like these bitches are crazy yeah yes absolutely
1: you're not fucking wrong (laughs) keep listening see what happens yeah I don't give a shit what you think
0: (laughs) and I mean what is this podcast if not an effort to explore the intersection of whatever our experience of magic is and our mental wellness because we could just say, well, you sound fucking bananas. Or we could say, well, is that helpful? Is it harmful? If it's just helpful, then it's not really an illness.
1: I will readily engage in a battle of wits on why things like that make sense, like the aesthetic distance that's available and labeling the way you feel as Lilith and how creating story and narrative helps you understand your experience and that calms your anxiety. And then you are a more productive person. Like we can do that whole Mm -hmm. thing. And that's, a big part of what this podcast is to me is like making those intersections and links between each other. And at the same time, like, as I grow into it, like, I just kind of don't care to explain myself so much anymore. I'm like, yeah, I just feel hecate over there. And (laughs) I don't, I I know. And like, I I don't have to, I don't have to spell that out for you. You can think that's weird. Or if you understand what I'm talking about, I fuck with you. And now we are friends. (laughs) You know, it's also just a great way, like, of vetting the people that you want to have around you. Mm-hmm. And the same with being a slut. Mm-hmm. Like anyone who would be offended by hearing me call myself a slut, mm, I wonder if we have the same values or if we understand the same things. I mean, or if we're at the
0: same level of life experience, which I say in a non judgmental way. Um, but, you know, when I was maybe 20, I might have been like, ooh, that word feels like way too spicy for me because that was before I really did a lot of work on being comfortable with sexuality. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're always trying to maintain awareness of different people's journeys, but also in our personal lives. Like, yeah, I'm probably not going to hang out with somebody who's like, ooh, slut, what a terrible word for you to prescribe yourself, you know.
1: Right, right. And I understand why that word is problematic for a lot of mm-hmm. people. I I looked up the definition and it's a lazy or slovenly woman. <laughs> really? The definition of slut, which which I was or no, I'm sorry, not lazy, dirty, a dirty <gasps> slovenly woman. Whoa. Which I was like Mm, spicy also kind of true. I am a little dirty. I mean, <laughs> I don't mind being dirty. I don't mind pulling twigs out of my sweaters yeah. and being nasty in the But bogs, it's not about personally. promiscuity no wow no actually in in fact, one of my clients just this week um had mentioned that definition that it means like an unclean or dirty woman is is where it began in the thirteenth century in Europe, and then it has come to now mean a promiscuous woman or a woman who is having sex outside of marriage or without you know being married, and it is rarely. A man who is a slut. It's always qualified like man whore, man slut. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we all understand that slut means woman. Mm-hmm. And I started reflecting on how slut is relevant to witchcraft. And then I thought, like, what am I, what do I mean? Why am I struggling to understand this? Look at the um that first book on witchcraft, the Malleus Malica Forum. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I'm saying that right, but so much of the fantasy spun out is like, witches are licking Satan's <laughs> asshole, you know? They love to fuck and they're fucking men and nests and feeding the moats, you know? It's all very sexual. We're having orgies with Satan. Mm-hmm. We are unmarried. We are alone. We are over in the hedge with our goats. Yeah, or, you
0: know, if you're, if you're me, you're not unmarried. You're just an adulteress. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. you ever think about that? Yeah. That's illegal, It is also, I mean, polyamory, technically illegal um, because it's adultery. Mm -hmm. Also, sodomy is still illegal in a lot of places. Like There are a lot of outdated rules governing our bodies that we just kind of stopped paying attention to and therefore things have evolved, which I think is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. My thought when you said... Uh, that sluts are dirty, unclean women was, well, in Christianity, they say uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. So Mm -hmm. uncleanliness would be next to whatever the fuck pagans are, right? The devil. Right. Right, and the devil in the lens of Christianity is anything other than God. So to be unclean is to be is sacred slut.
1: Exactly. Wow. Look at that. <laughs> look at that full circle shit, Episode Callie, job. over. Done. We...
0: <sighs> boom, roasted. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you and I have both been sacred sluts all summer long, and now it's fall. It's harvest time. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. What do we... What, do,
1: what tales do we want to unwind for our listeners? Listeners, get ready for a deeply personal dive into our sex lives. Here we go. (laughs) Just kidding. I like to make everyone guess because it's none of your fucking business. But I can't talk about my experience of being a slut or being this dirty, sex-loving witch. Mm -hmm. For me, inhabiting my body at all as a form of magic and being a sexual person being sexually open kind of makes me a witch right in the more classical context that we were talking about earlier but beyond that i do use my magical practices particularly like meditation and tarot and you know nature magic sea rituals and active imagination um to access my sexuality and connect to other people sexually and I also feel like being just a queer person has its own kind of magic and craft. And being a non-monogamous person provides many, many opportunities for connection and emotion, thus more opportunities for magic, you know, just in the process of trying to stay healthy and aligned with other people, magic has been incredibly supportive to, to that process. Um And also it's like aligning myself with queerness and non-monogamy at all places me in a select category. Like the idea that I have seen really pervasive and heteronormative culture is that non-monogamous people are just like greedy or just don't care about love or just kind of consuming sexuality or something. And... That is not my fucking experience of non-monogamy and polyamory. Um, It's because I want long-term love and connection that I choose to live that way because for me, monogamy has stifled love and growth, but I digress. Um, It's also like embracing slut is important to me in the same way that embracing fat, like calling myself fat, just sort of takes a lot of the stigma out of it just to to embrace it in the same way that I do with the word witch. It's not that I don't understand why those terms have been historically used to malign and oppress people. It's that I'm seeking to subvert the issue entirely.
0: Yeah. Being polyamorous and queer, I mean, it's, it's opening yourself up a lot. Um, in our Patreon content, you mentioned that it's very vulnerable and it is, um, not so much at this point in my life, not so much because it's like coming out. Like I've, I've never been closeted about being queer. I was even as a young person, I was like, well, I don't know, maybe I am. I, I wouldn't know. And I have been poly for 12 years, 11 years, something like that. And have just never really cared if people think that that's okay or not. Of course, I I get um, self-conscious about it with my in-laws because I really want them to know that I love my spouse and never want to hurt my spouse. And also, like, you know, people are going to think what they're going to think. And my in-laws are very supportive. I want to be clear. Um, they They're all very sweet people. But... I don't really worry about coming out. What I mean with vulnerability is um, opening yourself up to relationships is like 99% of the time going to hurt you, right? Yeah. It's a very risky choice. Yeah. I mean, most relationships end before death and when they don't, they end in death. (laughs) So like pain (laughs) is the price of love. And Mm -hmm. I brought this up to my therapist recently, and I was like, okay, so here's the thing that I keep thinking. It seems like in order for me to have fulfilling relationships, I have to risk being really hurt. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I was really hoping you'd have like a secret there that you'd be like, actually, here's the cheat code. And they were like, no, no, you're right. It is always a gamble, and you're probably going to get hurt. And that's part of it. And I will tell you that I hate that.
1: <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I, I was not expecting you to say that. Let me say how much I fucking hate that. You know what? <laughs> me too, cousin. I fucking hate it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a steep price. Yeah. I'm willing to pay the price, but it's steep. I'm always willing to until I'm
0: going through it. And then I'm like, this is stupid and I'm a dumb bitch. <laughs>
1: Me too. Me too. I
0: like, <laughs> God, just the other day I was processing something with my spouse and I was like, you know what? I fucking hate this and I'm going to say right now because I need to say this because I'm processing and I want you to understand that this is not me making a decision about our future but I fucking don't want it. I don't like it. I don't want it. I hate this. It's stupid. But mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I like to be clear that when I'm processing, my feelings are not about changing track. They're not about me fixing something. They're about feeling how I feel. And there are some things that you know you don't want to say to a partner. But if you have a lot of conversations and your people know that you're allowed to say, I hate this and I don't want it, and that that doesn't mean you want to change your life, that's a different thing.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. I resonate so heavily with that. When I get activated by any of the relationships I have, My brain is like, you have fucked up. Uh Oh, you really did it this time. Alone forever, bitch. You know what? Turn off that phone. Close all the windows. Don't let them ever see you again. Hide. Get small. You fucked up. And it's excruciating. And Mm -hmm. now I understand why when I was younger, it was so much more tolerable for me to be with partners who were very distancing from me Mm -hmm. or very emotionally unavailable from me for different Mm -hmm. reasons in different ways because I was actually less activating. Having partners look me square in the face and be like, I want to know how you feel, who are drawing me forward. I'm like, "Ah, this is strange. And I... Did not know to expect that. I was like, I want to have more fully aligned relationships. I want to be slow and intentional. I want to have deeper intimacy. That's so fucking cute. Oh, you want to have deeper intimacy? You're going to have so much more pain. So much more pain. Yeah. And I also wouldn't have it any other way because I feel like I am fully living my life. Yeah. You know, people keep asking me like, oh, are you happier now with the way you've changed your life and your relationality? Are you happier? And I'm like, yeah, I'm happy and sad and anxious and blissful and bored and lethargic and excited. I'm every feeling in the feelings wheel. Mm -hmm. And I would rather feel more like myself and have some pain than have emotionally distant relationships where intimacy is not available to me just so I can feel safe. I don't think I, I personally do not get to feel safe and also grow and feel intimate at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's incompatible. And safety is also grown through intimacy, which builds over time. It just has to build over fucking time. And even after it's built, it's still tricky. And the reason that you're at that place
0: and i find myself at that place too is because we have done the work of addressing all those like big 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 root issues we've gone through therapy we've done the bullshit of like unfulfilling relationships that oh maybe this will work out like those are necessary steps And we've grown our window of tolerance and we've grown past the point where complacency and unfulfilling relationships feel like they might work. And instead, we're at this place where you and I have both parented ourselves a lot and we've become much more reliable caretakers of ourselves. So like feeling that, fuck this, I hate this, I want to hide from everybody... It's now safe to feel that. It's not going to destroy our lives Mm -hmm. and we're not going to blow up our Mm -hmm. lives because there's a difference between feeling that and literally shutting everybody out and saying, like, I'm ending all my relationships. Mm -hmm. Of course we feel that way sometimes.
1: Yes. And you know what I do when I feel that way? I just sort of indulge it. And most of the time, no one even fucking notices. Like, no one knows that I'm like screaming into the void. Not that that's a good thing necessarily, that I isolate that from everyone that loves me, but I don't always isolate that Mm -hmm. from everyone that loves me. I've reached for you Mm -hmm. many times from the void to give myself a tether because I don't think we get an award for suffering Mm -hmm. alone. Like, I don't think that's like makes me better, but I do think it is helpful. To indulge the part of us that just wants to go deep. Yeah. Like, okay, we're just gonna lay in our bed and cry and scream and listen to t- to whole. Okay. That's fine. Yeah, I listen to her scream. There goes Courtney Love screaming again. You know, and <laughs> it really helps me a lot. I think before we were recording, I was just like driving around the Olympic National Forest, like crying to death grips. Whatever needs to happen. <laughs> Whatever fucking
0: needs to well, happen. Well, because you're processing right you're in that moment with yourself that's feeling that's not there's such a difference between feeling something that's coming up and allowing it and burrowing into it like there's a difference between saying I'm dysregulated so I'm going to tend to my wounds and I'm going to let myself cry in my bed and I'm dysregulated so I'm going to send that text that's like fuck you never talk to me again and block this person's number
1: Exactly. Most defense mechanisms work against their goals, which is one of my favorite facts about defense mechanisms. I'm afraid of getting rejected, so I'm going to push you the fuck away from Mm -hmm. me so I have at least some control over that. Mm -hmm. Or I can just go listen to Death Grips and scream into the Olympic National Forest, like, because that's an option that I have. And it's a storm that passes. And to me, that is a use of magic, is alchemizing emotion, which, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, you know that. And there's also something about like, the feeding of emotion and and like the consuming of emotion that i think really is aligned with being a slut yeah. you know the slut as an archetype is promiscuous is feeding is taking mm-hmm. and there's all those archetypes of witches feeding and taking like um I'm thinking of uh, the the witch from Snow White who has to be the fairest in the land. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like she has to be the most beautiful to maintain sexual power. Or in The Witch, the vive witch, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Thomason's little brother is seduced by a witch who looks like a beautiful woman. So there's this congruence, I think, between the feeding of emotion and the feeding of sex and the feeding of witches, mm-hmm. that witches are consumers you know Mm -hmm. like uh, we're greedy bisexuals we want everybody and we want to consume everything and I'm inclined to just like follow that impulse because I think that is a feature of being a witch is drawing things into us and spilling them out we're really porous creatures
0: Mm. we
1: are the hagstones (laughs) (laughs) some joke about holes goes (laughs) right there I don't know what it is but uh hmm. yeah
0: I think that my own desires and my the shame that I've always held around my desires like comes up against that and like this is lifelong work for me. I have a really remarkable amount of sexual openness and a really remarkable amount of shame. And it's something that I am just perpetually dealing with in therapy and out of therapy (laughs) and I think that part of what makes me mm, I don't know flare up around that is the idea of wanting I think to want at all is so vulnerable and part of it I think is knowing that that is considered vulgar. It's vulgar to desire things. And that's not true. Like, we wouldn't be here if our parents weren't horny sluts, you know? Right. Someone got fucked for us to be here. Right. (laughs) Two people probably wanted to bone, and that's why we're here. So even if that's, like, from the sanctity of, you know, heterosexual marriage under the Christian God, um... Oh, gross! I know it's that's so kinky. Honestly, that like no, I'm listen. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, but it's just not my yum. Um, heterosexual marriage is <laughs> not my yum. It's like BDSM. <laughs> it, it is. It is so <laughs> deep in power structures and right. ownership. Like it's so intense, and and we're not talking about the kink of heterosexuality today. So. What we're talking about is uh, how fucked up it is that our desire, these chemicals that come out of the cauldrons of our souls, you know, and our bodies, how those are somehow maligned. It is normal to want to fuck people, it is normal to want to experience sexual pleasure and emotional pleasure. And it is normal to want that from multiple people. It's also completely fine if you want that from multiple people and you decide that ultimately you don't want to indulge that. I think that a, a monogamous, straight person could absolutely be a sacred slut, even without you know slutting around. I think it's about making peace with the desire within yourself, you know?
1: Yes. And you uh, talking about desire reminds me of a reading that I brought. Listeners know that I love an excerpt. This is a reading on The Witch Archetype by Anne Belford-Ulanoff, and this reading came to me through this wonderful consultation group that I've been going to for a few months now called like Consultation Cauldron, I think is what we're calling it. It is facilitated by Naomi Brodner, who you will find on Instagram as Psyche's Dream Witch. Really, really fantastic, powerful human who monthly brings together me, and I think there's 10 or 11 and more other therapy witches so therapists who are also witches and naomi brings all these great readings and that is where i got this wonderful reading so she says what can we learn from this witch figure she stands forth as an archetypal female of tremendous power she personifies the extremes of feminine receptivity, pulling inward, whirling downward, and absorbing into primordial unconscious depths all that is conscious and human. She pulls sexuality out of the human realm. She stands in contrast to the kind of sexual partner most of us would like to have or to be. She cares nothing for loving mutually. She symbolizes an impulse to shun personal relatedness as entrapping or stultifying. The witch leads away from human life and community into night orgies of chilling inhuman ecstasies. She lures men off course with her siren voice, pulling them deep into the cold and personal unconscious where all conscious perception Perish. She possesses men's spirits to such an extent that they forsake their humanity. They transform into beasts and lustful drives, a rutting boar, a horny stag, a raging bear, cold sex, unwarmed by human feeling, impersonal sex, unbound by human relationship, power-driven sex, unsoftened by human sharing. These are the weapons wielded by the witch woman. So... She's sort of endorsing this in terms of the mythology. That's what the mythology says. But then she seeks to dismantle that too. She says, Unexpectedly, however, the sexual side of the witch motif also compensates in a helpful way. The energies she represents balance for what many people is an all too domesticated or anesthetized sex life. One totally lacking in any uplifting passion. Where sex is one more chore to be gotten through or simply discarded as unimportant. The witch conveys an image of demonic sexuality that breaks through old forms, changing them, rearranging them, and opening them to new spirit. I feel like there's so much congruence between the desire for magic and the desire for sex Mm -hmm. and the desire for love and connection. Isn't that a big reason that we're witches we desire mm-hmm. something isn't that why we cast spells and work magic mm-hmm. and ritual is because there's some outcome we are trying to achieve mm-hmm. even if the outcome is devotion to the moon mm-hmm. which often my spells are just i love you so much thank you for being with me mm-hmm. in devotion to the moon for example but the same spell could be cast through sex mm-hmm. right this this is an act of devotion to the way i feel for you to share my body with you and also, that roots back down to attachment. It roots down so fucking far. What happens for us when the first lesson we learned about wanting, wanting from our mother or father, is fractured? <laughs> like mm-hmm. To really want something can, can be a place where people get stuck because it doesn't feel accessible or attainable. It feels risky to want something because can you sit with the feelings that come when that attachment bid for connection maybe is dropped or someone doesn't want you or your spell doesn't work. It just is such a deep, almost infantile need when we really look at desire. And it's very, very soft and tender and activating work to let ourselves desire someone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we go pretty deep Into that,
0: in the episode Acts of Love and Pleasure, in which we talk about how our bodies and our nervous systems are cauldrons and how our emotions are ingredients and we can actually summon them on command through various activities. I think that to master our nervous systems, first of all, we can only do so much. But secondly, is part of the magic of being a person and then also to have the mastery of that and allow ourselves to go wild sometimes and to unleash that control that's part of control too control isn't just regulation it's also dysregulation whenever we desire and something oh my therapist said this mind-blowing thing to me the other day they said an emotion is something you notice In in your mind, it's like a state of mind. Dysregulation is not necessarily unpleasant. Dysregulation is when you feel something in your body. Mm -hmm. And I was like, holy shit. Happiness, joy, love, sexual desire, those are all dysregulations. And Mm -hmm. sometimes being dysregulated is beautiful and wild and fun and freeing. And it can encourage us to experience new things. It's just important that we're grounding. We're doing that work of maintaining our states of mind and ourselves, our boundaries. So, so much of that wildness and that freedom is also about knowing that we have this safety net of self-trust and mastery of ourselves.
1: I saw a great post from Softcore Trauma. I really love like that, that account. Instagram, love Softcore Trauma. The The point of healing is not to never be dysregulated. It's, you know, you're going to be yeah. dysregulated. It's necessary. And that blissful, excited sexual states is a form of dysregulation. You're out of your window of tolerance. You're not in the middle. You're maybe hyper aroused, but it feels good. You know, dysregulation isn't always bad. It isn't always every negative or triggering feeling you're having. And that has been an important learning for for me because there's such an edge, you know, like that moment of like intensity, maybe during sex when you're feeling just like so aroused and so excited. And then you're laying in bed next to each other and then maybe the vibe gets off a little bit and you get really, really, really activated. Mm. Have you had those moments before? (laughs) Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Of course you have. Of course you have. Because your nervous system's already just like Torqued, yeah. you know, from all the connection and all the chemicals, and and uh, the vibe can can change, the tide can change, yeah. because you're not actually in your window of tolerance. So, being gentle with myself, even when I'm doing something that feels really good, has been really important. And a practice I've begun incorporating to stay aligned with myself and care for myself within the context of, of love or romantic love is detachment within love is separation and allowing that to be safe. And that can feel very counterintuitive. Like if we are loving each other, we are like up each other's ass every second because we need to solidify this love and I don't want to lose you. And that is just like anxious attachment. And it doesn't actually, ultimately my experience has taught me that it doesn't actually make me feel any more secure it's knowing that I can separate or detach from a loved one and then reattach to them is where I find security, that I can take my hand off of you and you will not fucking disappear. And I was in consultation with the group that I mentioned before and we had a wonderful guest. Um, her name is Marcella um, Kroll, so K R O L L. You can find her at Marcella Kroll on Instagram. Really wonderful witch. And there's a meditation that they taught where you take yourself to a sacred space. It's your space. And I immediately could see my space, and it was this like beautiful under the sea grotto. It looked very much like the pool under the waterfall that I've been swimming in all summer. Just very beautiful. And go down in there and look around and see who's there. Mm. Who's in there? Invite them all out. Even the ones you love and want to be there. You cut cords with everyone at the end of your day, mm-hmm. not just the people that you want to cut cords with, even people you might be scared to cut cords mm-hmm. with, you know. And I look to the left in this in this uh, meditation and there's my lover. Like that, I don't want them <laughs> to leave, like be in my grotto indefinitely. Like, don't ever leave me. I don't want you to go. But secure attachment is about toggling between intimacy and isolation, Mm -hmm. being able to go between those polarities and that being separate and being cord cut from the object of your desire is just as important and vital and potent as being connected to that person. I have to be able to trust that they will come back into the grotto tomorrow. Mm. And if they don't, that is their will and I release them. I'm not going to hold the cord when someone is trying to detach from me. I have done that. And it is laborful, and it doesn't allow me to attach to other people who might want to attach to me. Yeah. So that, that meditation has been really fucking impactful. It's been great. That reminds me of...
0: I'm reading this book right now, Letters to a Young Poet by Rilke. And... Oh, I love that book. Yes. And also, I'm not 100% sure if Rilke is the pronunciation, but y'all know who I'm talking about. It, It is. Great. Yeah. Thank you, academic. Um, (laughs) Something that he insists throughout his letters, throughout his work, is we are all alone. And something that I really love about his stress on that is that he doesn't stress we are alone and it is terrible. It's we are alone, period. Period. It's not a bad thing. It simply is. And I really vibe with that. It's kind of a, uh, a root of stoicism as a philosophical practice. And the cord cutting ritual, you know, it's something I talk to a lot of my clients who are parents about because there's this idea that if you love someone, they come first. And that it can't be true. Because Mm -mm. if you love somebody and you don't put yourself first, you can actually never even know if you love them because you are out of touch with yourself and you are considering them before you, which means that you've abandoned yourself. You are the only life partner you truly ever have because you were there the moment you were born. You've been there for every single minute of every day and you will die with yourself and yourself alone. And that is holy and beautiful. And the fact that we can never fully know if another person truly understands us creates a drive to find new ways of expressing ourselves, to be creative, to make poetry and art, and to talk to each other. So the fact that we are alone is holy because to be alone is the drive to connect. And to be alone is simply how we always will be. Sacred sluts, you're going
1: to die alone. <laughs> Welcome to being a witch slut. No one will ever be with you. <laughs> you are alone. No, but, but in all seriousness, I fucking agree with you. I really yeah. do. In my 20s, and I'm not throwing 20s Amber under the bus. I completely understand what she was doing. What she was doing is fine. It was a necessary, necessary, <laughs> it was a necessary step on the way yeah. to being who I am now. And I'm really, really content with who I am now. Yeah. It was like, I am being an empowered slut because I'm having so much sex, like volume. Mm-hmm. And for me at the time, volume meant having a lot of sex with people that I didn't really even want to have sex with, mm-hmm. you know, like having disembodied sex, mm. Where I wasn't receiving a whole lot of pleasure, but I was receiving something mm-hmm. else that was important for me at the time. But now, the ability to be alone and really meet myself means that when I do attach to someone sexually, I am so present. Mm-hmm. And sex for me now at this age and this you know, this kind of place in my life... Is so much more intense for me. I, I can't even have sex at the volume that I used to when I was younger. Volume in terms of like frequency and, and different partners, like all sorts of different people. Yeah. Um, I, I, for me, like being polyamorous is not about performing polyamory. Mm-hmm. Like I have ten lovers. I kind of like max out it too, man. Like I'm open to other sexual experiences if they come to me. But in terms of my capacity to to give relationally.
0: It's that's like quite
1: a bit for yeah. me because it fills up so much of my body, yeah. even if it doesn't fill up so much of my schedule. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, that's only available to me because I do know that I am alone ultimately in this world. And I will keep making peace with that until I die. I don't know if any of us can ever really have peace with it, but I no longer am waiting for my other half because I don't believe that I am not whole. Snap snap snap. I mean, just your welcome <laughs> shit. <laughs> okay. I
0: agree. And I think, you know, my early 20s process, I I have always been very open about my sexuality and, you know, being somebody who started having sex relatively young. Um a lot of people would be like, oh, you were so young when you started having sex. And I'm like, don't, don't like make that sad voice at me. Like my ninth grade sex life, I hear you, but it was with the first boy I was so deeply in love with. And I had great sex. My little adolescent body was having a great time. It was consensual. It was so joyful and beautiful. And then I I was very aware of the fact that love meant a lot to me. So when he dumped my ass, I didn't have sex again for a couple of years because I didn't want to. And that was very empowering. In my 20s, I didn't know what I wanted and I knew that. So if something seemed interesting and potentially fun, then I did it. And that meant that, uh, you know, there was one time where I was hooking up with somebody and the sex was weird. And I said, we need to stop. And he was like, oh, what? And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And he was really uncomfortable. And I mean, it wasn't the most fun decision for me, but it was part of my process. And I remember friends asking, like, you wanted to fuck that person. And I was like, well, I wanted to see what it was like and you know that's always a possibility like there's always a possibility that your sexual partner might stop in the middle and be like you know what I've changed my mind that's part of consent mm-hmm. and it was never a bad thing because i knew where i was at so if we're if we're aware of what we're doing it's a big difference between being like i i need to be needed i need to be wanted and and I don't know what I want, so I'm going to test out some different things. You know, go to the fucking 31 Flavors and taste all of them.
1: What does it even feel like to want? Which part of me is wanting?
0: What does it feel like to want, Amber?
1: You know what? That was actually one of my first phrases as a little child was, how does it feel to want? And my Uncle Leo, that bitch, loves to tell that story. Amber was always saying, how does it feel to want? Maybe because nobody was taking care of me. You know, maybe it's a sad fucking story, Uncle Leo. Shut the fuck up. Actually, no, tell me, how does it feel to want? Yeah. It sounds like some 90s love song lyrics. (laughs) I wonder where I got that. I think, anyway, I could go down all sorts of rabbit holes. But really, how does it feel to want in your body? How does desire feel to you? This is a place where I think that our witchcraft, working our magic, especially in self-reflection and meditation and sensory experiences, being out in nature, um, I think that the more that we attune to our senses... um, the more that we attune to our desires yeah. and what feels good to us. Cause I I I do think it is totally important to know logically what you want another partner, mm-hmm. right? Here's a logic, right? They would be like this, this would happen, we would go at this pace, they wouldn't have all of these red flags, they would have all of these green flags. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. And then other people are complicated human beings <laughs> and they're going to come to you with their complicatedness. Like, oh, I want to <laughs> I want to fall in love with a farmer. Cool. Well, which farmer feels good to you? Mm-hmm. Like, do, do you just want a farmer in a vacuum? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, we really do have to notice what feels right to us. And I see this a lot in couples work and in intimacy work when I'm in role as, you know, therapist Amber is, you know, like I want a partner and I want them to be like this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what if, yeah, they're a tech guy and they have a lot of money and they can buy you a house and marry you and put kids in you? Mm -hmm. What if he doesn't feel good to you or smell good to you or Mm -hmm. you don't like the way he touches you? Mm -hmm. Now what? Really? Does it really just matter what's on paper? Mm -hmm. To be able to take what's on paper and hold that, okay, this is what I need on paper and I fucking know that. And then also I want you so bad, I want to fucking eat you. <laughs> because that's what desire feels like to me. Like I feel like hungry and agitated and and kind of strange and childlike, but also full of sensation that I don't even know how to logic. Yeah. And then trying to kind of put those together at the same time. I find that when I do my tarot. I find that when I sit in meditation and look at this beautiful view that I'm so lucky to have. I find that when I am just noticing signs in nature, what the animals are doing, what the forest is doing. All of that information is running through me as a witch and then I'm trying to apply that to my relational and practical world and we have the ability to do Mm -hmm. that. Our witchcraft is coping. Our witchcraft is a way that we can come into a relationship more aligned and experience deeper desire. So to be a sacred slut is really to be yourself
0: and to notice where you are in your experience of desire, to ask it questions, to be with yourself, to allow yourself to be madly in love with yourself and your life and the world and your magic. I feel good about that. I feel good about this is the episode and I think that we'll have to do more episodes on it because it is such an unfurling topic for us and we're both big hoes, so it'll be easy.
1: <laughs> Don't at me, okay? Like my, my fucking dance card is full, y'all, okay? Like I'm not taking any applications. My mana has been strong and I just, I've been having to push people away. <sighs> My red my red lights turning off. Anyway, I'm running out of <laughs> analogy. Uh, um, but you know, yeah,
0: there are a lot of ways to be loved, and I uh, believe we have a new review. <laughs> oh, good segue, Callie.
1: That was really Thanks. good. It really was like it that. was
0: half-assed, but yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me be whole-ass. Here we go. We have um, we have a really cute review from someone named. A Al Gal 22, and it says, baby witch waving tentatively, I think is the rest of the word. Five stars. As someone who grew up being afraid of spooky things or just things in general, I have been slow to investigate slash embrace the magical side of myself. This podcast has been a gentle hand and a guiding light into the educational empowering facets that emerge when one remembers they are a witch. Yes, we are thrilled to guide your hand.
0: Mm. Um, Also, I identify with being afraid of just things in general.
1: Absolutely. There's another review, which, can I read I would love that. Okay, it's another five star. We have so many reviews. It's great. Um, The title of the review is Obsessed. And I'm going to read the entire name that this person put on here to describe themselves you ready? I am I don't I haven't read
0: this so I don't know what it will be
1: A1B2C3D4E5F6G7H8L9A1B2 A1, fantastic love incredible. it into it incredible I was just recommended this podcast a week ago. I have been listening nonstop. These two are so authentic and candid. I feel like I'm sitting in on the conversation with them. You are. I have learned so much. (laughs) You are, like literally, that's what we're doing. I have learned so much about witchcraft, magic, and mental health. My favorite thing about these two is that they are so open and welcoming to whatever belief system you know and live by. We are. And they are genuinely just trying to educate you and give you real tools to use to improve your daily life. Oh, I am absolutely obsessed with this podcast and can't wait to continue listening. Well, we're obsessed with your review. Yeah. Thank you. What a a sweetie little... Baby, what a sweet little <laughs> baby! <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I fucking love that. And what what a nice welcome back after our summer slash maybe also spring break. Um, <laughs> we're so happy yes. to be here. You know, having celebrated not we, we didn't really celebrate our anniversary this year because we were both busy. But yeah, it's a perpetual celebration.
1: We never stop partying. So We are the Three
0: of Cups all the time. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the goddess is the third gal dancing with us. Um, and we're just so glad to be here. We're so glad to be back. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. If you love us and you want more of our episodes, I mean, they're coming regardless. So if you don't want them, too bad. But if you really want to support us... <laughs> Leaving a review and five stars means the world to us. We love reading them on air. And also, if you want to do even more, you can become a patron where you will get bonus content every single episode. Plus, you get access to our private, secret second podcast, Self as Myth. And we even published a bunch of like worksheets and tarot card readings over the mm-hmm. summer. So you'll get to view all
1: of that as soon as you join. I mean, brooms up. Put your flying ointment on it, and go lick Satan's butthole like a, a class, like a time. slut, like a slut, Dwight. You ignorant. <laughs> <it>. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes. Uh, brooms up. Until next time. Keep it lubed, babies. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: nice. Good job. Yeah.
0: want you to know that while I was while you were walking out of the room I was like looking at my rings and then when I looked up after you were out of your office your Nicholas Cage pillow frightened me because <laughs> I looked up and I just saw a face a tiny man face and I was like oh. Huh. <sighs>
1: so sorry. It so
0: funny <laughs> i didn't <laughs> like when you listen back to this you're not gonna hear me make a sound or anything i just kind of like my eyes got a little big <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god i'm laughing so fucking hard oh i'm crying my Nicolas cage pillow it has startled so many people We'll <laughs>